The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 22, 2023, on the basis of Daniel 1, verses 3 through 21. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. There once was a young man who grew up in a very strong and God-fearing home. He learned and was taught the truth about God from the time that he was in diapers. And yet just about the time he became an adult, he moved far, far away from home, and there he became immersed in secular education and culture, where not only was the truth about God entirely absent, but in many cases it was even denied. And he excelled in this new life of his. He was smart, he was talented, his good looks certainly didn't hurt either, and so he enjoyed success in every way. Eventually, he decided to take up a career in politics. He got appointed to a government position and began sort of climbing the ranks until eventually he came to occupy a very important position on the national, federal level in his land. And he stayed there for the rest of his life, for 70 whole years. He had fame, he had power, he had influence, he had absolutely everything. From the time that he left home, he was gone for good. He never went back, not even once. Sounds like kind of a cautionary tale, doesn't it? Sounds like the kind of thing that maybe Christian parents who are raising Christian children in a world such as ours would hope and pray doesn't happen with their child. And yet the story that I just told you, believe it or not, is the story of the biblical prophet Daniel. For better or worse, Daniel is one of those biblical figures that we often associate in our minds with just one single thing. So for example, when I say Noah, you think an ark. And when I say Jonah, you think a fish. And when I say David, you think about Goliath. And when I say Daniel, you think about the lions, right? And don't worry, those lions are important and you're going to be hearing about those lions all next week. But these verses are also very important. You see, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about some of the, the radical policies that Jesus employs in what we call the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom where he reigns. And in fact, these two different kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth, are so different that we might be tempted to think that our life in each one is completely separate. We have this religious life of ours where we confess and we practice the things that we believe. We do that at church, of course, and we also do that in our homes. But then we also have this public life where we try to contribute in some way, shape, or form to the good of our community and the good of our society. Maybe you do that with your job. Maybe you volunteer on some sort of board or committee. Maybe you've even run for public office. Maybe you simply participate in discussions and vote in elections. And because these two kingdoms are so different from one another, it's easy to think that our life in each should remain separate that our life in one is very different from our life in the other. And so on the one hand, we try to serve God with part of our life, but then we also try to serve God by serving the common good. Or perhaps in a world like ours, it's very easy for us to think that serving God and serving the common good are, are sort of an either-or choice. 
You can either dedicate your life to serving God or you can dedicate your life to serving for the common good. And yet these verses from Daniel chapter 1 are important for us because they are a helpful reminder that the child of God is just one person. And the life of a child of God is just one life. And so these two separate things that maybe we'd be tempted to keep separate should actually very much stay together. And so far from being a cautionary tale, the story of Daniel reminds us that these two separate parts of our life actually very much belong together. The story of Daniel is not a story about serving God and serving the common good. It's not a story about serving God or serving the common good. Instead, the story of Daniel is a story about serving God by serving the common good. So everything that I just mentioned did in fact happen to Daniel, but none of it happened by choice. The book of Daniel starts out by telling us that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered King Jehoiakim of Judah. And after he did, he recruited a number of the best and the brightest from the kingdom of Judah to come into service for him. So King Nebuchadnezzar took over, and Daniel and his three friends were deported to Babylon. There they were drafted into the king's leadership training program. So these three godly men were instantly transported overnight from a kingdom where, at least outwardly, everyone was pretty much on board with the truth about God. And suddenly they found themselves in a kingdom where the truth about God was completely ignored and denied. A kingdom full of the false beliefs of the false gods of Babylon. And they were enlisted in government service in this new and foreign land. And as much as I might wish that these verses provide us with sort of a neat and tidy blueprint for how a child of God should navigate a situation like that, they don't. Instead, what they illustrate is that serving God by serving the common good is often very messy. So three things happened to Daniel and his friends once they were in Babylon. First of all, they were given a heathen education. They were enlisted in this program where they would learn the language and the literature of Babylon, which was probably some sort of combination of, of different subjects and material that we would sort of consider secular and neutral, things like math and science, but no doubt also things that were absolutely infused with the false religion of Babylon. And yet they went along with it. In fact, as we're going to hear, they even excelled in it. Secondly, these four men were also given heathen names. The names they had been given by birth all reflected their true belief in the one true God, and yet those names were replaced with names that reflected the false religion of Babylon. And yet it seems they didn't put up much of a fuss about that either. But then thirdly, they were given a heathen diet. And this is where they object. Or at least Daniel objects. Daniel is convinced that this is a line that he just cannot cross. He is convinced that eating from the royal food will defile him. We're not exactly sure why that was the case. Nor are we sure that the other three felt as strongly about this as Daniel did. Perhaps they did. Perhaps they didn't. Either way, notice what Daniel does. He doesn't launch some sort of public protest. 
He doesn't complain that his religious freedom is being violated. No, Daniel very much understands that there are two men in this story. First of all, the king's chief official. And second of all, the guard who is responsible for these four men. And Daniel understands that, all, that both of them have a job to do. It's their job to make sure that these men stay strong and healthy. And if they don't, they're going to be punished. And so all Daniel asks for is a test. A 10-day test where he would be allowed not to eat the food that he's convinced will defile him. A test that ensures that no matter what ends up happening, these two other royal officials will keep their jobs and keep their heads. A test that guarantees that no matter what price might need to be paid for Daniel refusing to eat this food, it's going to be paid by him rather than them. So like I said, overnight, Daniel's world changed dramatically from one extreme all the way to the other. As we think about our lives, we might be convinced that that change is happening much more gradually. As we think about our society, we might draw the conclusion that very slowly things are sort of drifting from a world in which, at least outwardly, there were certain truths about God that basically everybody believed and embraced. And, and perhaps more and more we're drifting toward a society where those same beliefs are now denied or even ignored. And again, as much as I might wish that we could look at these verses and come up with a very neat and tidy blueprint for how we are supposed to navigate that increasingly challenging situation, instead these verses show us that serving God by trying to serve for the public good will very often be messy. One thing we can say for sure is that even as we try to serve the public good, we never cease being children of God. We will need to constantly be analyzing whether the beliefs and the practices of public life in our society are things that we also can participate in. And well-meaning Christians might not always come to the same conclusions about those things. There might be things that we can sort of begrudgingly put up with. The way that Daniel and his friends put up with their heathen education and their heathen names. But there might be other areas where we decide we need to draw the line. That there's a line that we simply cannot cross. Certainly there will be some instances where we know there's a line that we cannot cross. Again, you're going to hear about Daniel and the lions next week. But even when we decide there's a line that we simply cannot cross or something that we cannot participate in, we also need to learn an important lesson from Daniel. We need to understand that the other people who are working for the public good in public life have jobs to do. And it's good for us to acknowledge that. We need to understand that if there are accommodations that are going to need to be made, those accommodations are probably going to need to be made by us. We shouldn't expect the rest of the world around us to make practicing our Christian beliefs as easy as it can possibly be. And in fact, if there are inconveniences, if there are consequences that need to be suffered, then we as God's people will be willingly to bear those consequences rather than expecting other people to do that for us. The story of Daniel is a wonderful example of how serving God by serving the common good will often be messy. 
Which is why perhaps many Christians conclude that they should sort of just throw their hands in the air and give up. I mean, we'll just practice our, our religious life here at church and here at home, and we'll leave power in the public world to everybody else. Or perhaps even if we try to serve for the common good, we'd maybe conclude that everyone else besides us has an advantage. People that don't need to draw lines, people that don't need to expect that there are consequences, will certainly have the upper hand over people who do. Except that's not how the story of Daniel plays out. So for 10 days, Daniel and his four friends are given nothing but green beans and water. And everyone else in the program is allowed to eat directly from the king's own table. And yet at the end of those 10 days, those two officials inspect them and they find out that Daniel and his four friends are stronger and healthier than the rest. And so this leadership training program goes on for three whole years. Daniel and his friends are immersed in this heathen education. And yet at the end of it, they are discovered to be better and smarter than everyone else who has gone through the very same program. And in fact, eventually the king realizes that Daniel and his friends are ten times more competent than even the best and the brightest in his whole realm. And then there's the very last verse of these verses from Daniel chapter 1, where we're told that Daniel remained in power until the first year of King Darius. That first of all tells us that Daniel served God by serving for the public good for a long time in Babylon, 70 whole years. Just think about the amount of good Daniel was able to do both for his fellow Jewish exiles and for the people of Babylon during those 70 years of time. But that last verse does something else too. It's also a not-so-subtle reminder about who's really in charge in this chapter. When the chapter starts out, it would be easy to believe that King Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. One king powerfully conquers another king and brings into his kingdom the best and the brightest to serve for his own interests. And yet in the end, we find out that once Daniel had come into power in Babylon, he retained that power. He stayed in that position of power even longer than Nebuchadnezzar did. The captive outlasted his captor. And there's a reason for that. It's because the person in charge in this chapter is not King Nebuchadnezzar, it's not King Jehoiakim, it's not King Darius. It is, of course, God. And that's why serving God, by serving for the public good, while it will often be very messy, will never be futile. And I think you'd agree that maybe there are times where it's easy to get that exactly backwards. Where it's easy to think that as Christians serving for the public good, things should be very neat and tidy. That maybe we should expect, maybe we're even entitled to having everyone else in our society see things our way. That the beliefs that we hold to on the basis of the Bible should be embraced and accepted by everyone else too. That whenever that's not the case, if there's any inconvenience that needs to be endured, it should be endured by others for us rather than the other way around. If there's any consequences that need to be endured, it should be endured by others for us 
rather than the other way around. Or perhaps we'd be tempted to think just the opposite. Perhaps we'd be tempted to throw our hands up in the air and say it's all useless. Society has already gone down the drain. All of those beliefs about God that everyone once held are now rejected and even mocked. And so, why bother? Maybe for a Christian, trying to serve God by serving the public good is impossible and futile. Maybe it's even a sin. And both of those would make perfect sense if the common good was dependent on having godly kings. I know we don't have kings in our country. We don't even like the idea of having kings in our country. But we do have presidents, and we have justices, and we have senators, and we have governors, and we have mayors, and we have school board members, and we have principals, and we have teachers, and we have police officers. And we might be tempted to think that the common good for our society is dependent on all of those rulers being perfectly godly. And don't get me wrong, it would be nice if they are. It's certainly better and it certainly helps if they are. But even if they aren't, a Christian serving God by serving for the common good is never going to be futile. Because at the end of the day, the common good isn't dependent on having godly kings. Instead, the common good is dependent on God being the king. And he is. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about these two different kingdoms. And these two different kingdoms could not be more different. We gather here in this place where Jesus operates according to the principles of the kingdom of heaven. And in this kingdom, grace, not merit, is the operating principle. In this kingdom, you don't have to prove yourself ten times better than all of your peers in order for the king to accept you. In this kingdom, all of your crimes that you've ever committed against the king are freely pardoned. In this kingdom, the punishment that needs to be inflicted for those crimes is going to be borne not by you, but instead by the king himself. That's how life works in the kingdom of heaven. And yet even as we leave this place where those rules are in operation, and go out into that public place where different rules work, Jesus doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. Jesus is the king out there too. He is ruling over all things for the good of his people and for, good, for the good of the all, for all of the people that he has made. And that's why the story of Daniel is anything but a cautionary tale. A young man grows up knowing and believing the truth about God. When he reaches adulthood, he steps out into public life and he dedicates his entire life to serving for the common good of the people of his land, all the while never forgetting and never forsaking the truth about God that he knows. That's Daniel's story. A story about serving God by serving the common good. And because Jesus is the king of both of these kingdoms, that can be your story too. Amen.